If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Well, welcome back to the One Voice podcast. We love being a safe place for you to to hear some real life stories and just be challenged in finding your purpose and finding hope along the healing journey and and just how you can be a part of a solution to injustice in the world. And I'm super excited. Today, I have my friend Kristen Morse here with us. She is the Global Reach Director at the A21 Campaign. And A21 is an organization that I've followed for years in my own work and really respected and admired the things that they're doing to combat human trafficking around the world. So welcome to our podcast today, Kristen. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on today. I would love for you to just kind of share from the gates a little about your story and just what gave you passion to be a part of anti-trafficking and the nonprofit world and then just what led you to A21. Yeah, for sure. My story is unique, I think. I actually heard about human trafficking for the first time when I was 16 years old. And just like so many other people, um, just had that moment where I couldn't believe that human trafficking existed, that slavery was something that was still happening and that it was impacting millions of people. We always learned in school that it was abolished and that there were laws against it and it didn't exist anymore. And so just... It totally shocked me when I learned, and I just remember um, my heart like broke, and I actually cried that night and um, just spent a lot of time with my friends being like, okay, what can we do about this, and what difference can we make? We were in high school, so we didn't know exactly what it would look like, but we just started meeting every Saturday and just mm-hmm. talking and brainstorming, meeting with our youth leaders and teachers, and and um, we're able to actually plan a bunch of different events, like a walkathon and a battle of the bands and just some really fun things to help raise awareness and raise funds um, to go towards actually A21, which was just starting. Oh, so, oh, yeah, um, yeah, it's really cool. It's kind of like a full circle story. But, um, yeah, I learned about the issue. I got really passionate and then it just totally redirected my life. I knew that I couldn't turn back or stop working on it. And so I actually moved to Australia when I was 18 wow. to volunteer for A21. That's amazing. So it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm back now and I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. That's um, a great deal of boldness. I'm so glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I um, so I started volunteering um, four months in, they offered me a full-time job. And then we moved to California in 2010 to start the headquarters office. So um, just have been able to be a part of the journey for a long time and see the organization grow so much and have learned so much along the way as well. Yeah, it's interesting to me also how, you know, sometimes we just get passionate about something and we feel like we don't know where to start. And your journey mm-hmm. sounds similar to mine where it was like, I'm just going to find organizations out there who are already doing the work and come alongside them, even as a volunteer, you know, and I don't need to get paid. I just yeah. want to get immersed and help me to get involved in that is what will lead you to the next thing and the next thing. And then 
you know, you're doing these great things. You're the global reach director now for this organization that you started out as an 18 year old moving on the other side of the world. That's so cool, Kristen. I love that. Yeah, it's always been really fun. I have a special place in my heart for youth, for sure, because Mm -hmm. I know the power that young people have and what a difference they can make. And so Mm -hmm. being able to use my story and speak to that and really encourage the next generation has been something I've really enjoyed. And I just love seeing the creativity that happens as well. I agree. My most passionate, I think, age group has always been college students because I feel the same way, Mm -hmm. just enabling them, empowering them with the message that they can be a part of the solution and watching them do that. They are so creative, assertive, persistent. They find answers. They go after their dreams. They don't let people tell them no or tell them reasons why they can't do something. They figure it out. And I think that's what our world needs right now. Definitely. I agree. And so a lot of your work has actually been about mobilizing people to be a part be a part of this answer for prevention, for awareness, and just educating people. And I love some of the curriculum that you have been a part of authoring and putting out through A21. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? So, you know, listeners who want to get more educated themselves could possibly find this resource? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you need to know that a problem exists in order to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so even starting with awareness and educating people about what human trafficking looks like and the signs to look for and what you can do if you think that potentially you're being recruited into trafficking or you know someone who's a victim. All of those things are so important and essential to actually stopping human trafficking. And so through A21, we've been able to create prevention awareness and education programs. We've worked for the last seven years now to get curriculum into schools. And that's been a huge journey and have gotten to work with incredible educators and curriculum specialists and people in departments of education. And it's incredible to see the impact that that has when students can learn about the history of slavery, about human rights and the different forms of trafficking, but that they can actually be modern day abolitionists and can do something about it. And so all of our education resources, we try to really keep that hope and that empowerment focus, um, but really bring the reality that trafficking is happening and that anyone can be a victim. And there's definitely specific vulnerabilities and risk factors and things that can make someone um, susceptible to trafficking. So just trying to prevent that and stop that so that people are able to be protected. And schools are one place where almost every student or every person has to go through the school system. Um, So it's an incredible opportunity to actually be able to identify victims of trafficking and to equip teachers who see students every day and actually can build that relationship and notice when there's changes or Mm. potential indicators of trafficking. So um, that's kind of the heart behind what we do and Mm. why we believe it's so important. And just over the years, watching that, watching we have different awareness programs, equip um, churches and youth groups and um, individuals and just working to get the word out and to give people tools so that they can make a difference too. 
That's really great. You know, I, I've talked many times about how important it is for educators to just be aware of statistics, even when it comes to sexual abuse. You know, if one in three girls and one mm-hmm. in six boys are sexually abused, to watch for those hints and when something looks off. And so educating them on trafficking to be aware and, and to raise that, you know, question to look for those hints or things that are out there and to ask questions is so great. And even if a child's not being trafficked. Like there's still something wrong there. Maybe they're being abused in their home, you know, by someone that's in their family. They're not being trafficked yet, but there's still red flags there. So I think it's so important just in general, just to create those conversations to remove, you know, the wool from our eyes to be able to see the problems that are going on in our communities and, and equipping people to be an answer to that. So that's Definitely. awesome. I actually saw, and I don't know if it came out today, but I saw the article today that you were in and had said some really great things. It was about airports being bu- big business for human traffickers. Do you remember mm. this? Did that come out just today? Or I'm not exactly sure when it came out, but I remember doing the interview for it. Yeah, okay. Um, so we do have a campaign called Can You See Me? And so we worked to, um, through like the Department of Transportation and different partners, to actually get PSA videos and Mm. posters and billboards into transportation hubs because we recognized that trafficking is happening in airports and on buses and train stations. And it's actually one place where victims who might otherwise be like held in a house in domestic servitude Mm. or um, held in a hotel or transported back and forth. um, Those transportation points are a time when you could identify a victim Um, who otherwise would probably be hidden. So we are really excited. We started this campaign in the UK. It's been rolled out in Thailand and now in the United States. And so we're just working like one airport at a time to get it in and also using those videos as training resources for schools and um, like airline attendants and all of the different professions that might encounter someone who's a victim who's being transported. Mm, That's great. And um, has A21 or even just you personally and your own work and passion with fighting human trafficking, have you been a part or seen um, anything that'd be helpful for small communities in fighting human trafficking when it comes to massage parlors or spas that just look shady? Because I feel like I'm getting questions all the time about this. Like people will see something that looks sketchy because now they are aware and they don't know what to do Mm. from that point forward. Yeah, we as A21 haven't done a lot of work in that area, but I know that Polaris, who runs the national hotline for the United States, Mm -hmm. they put out a report specifically about massage parlors. So I would recommend looking at that. And then obviously the big craft case that broke with the Patriots has definitely brought this to the forefront and the attention as well recently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just that awareness and continuing to talk to local law enforcement and um, people who can actually do the surveillance and make a difference in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that case specifically, it was interesting um, because I believe I heard the investigator, I was at an event where he was talking about it and he said that somebody went in and realized that the person who was giving the massage had their suitcase in the room oh. and just thought it was really odd because why would somebody going to work have their suitcase and be sleeping in right. that place. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was that like small sign that they realized that um, really made the difference. And so through educating yourself about indicators, we have a, can you see me scenario about 
nail parlors actually okay. um so it shows like a cash only sign or mm. um the person who's running the nail salon actually taking the money and it doesn't go to the person who's doing the nails and um, those small things can actually be a sign that trafficking is happening and so reporting those suspicions that you have um, and I just I think that's so important to realize that if you're if you suspect something that you report it like it mm-hmm. could not be trafficking but what if it is and what if that makes the difference or build mm-hmm. the case for someone to be able to not be in trafficking anymore yeah exactly just reporting on a suspicion can make the world of difference and if you're wrong you're wrong it doesn't it doesn't mean yeah. anything bad about you or the situation yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah um, in my book hush i talk about how when i was in fifth grade there was a woman who came to our school and actually did a presentation on sexual abuse and i remember thinking wow that seems very similar to what i'm going through but you know i couldn't bring myself to believe that something that bad that they were talking about could happen in a family like mine because everyone thought I had the perfect family and my abuser was well known and loved and so all of those things didn't really match up and so I didn't tell Mm -hmm. but I did rush to the front of the line to go back we were in the library we were going back to our classroom and I rushed to the front of the line where my teacher was standing and I said I really want to tell you something Um, but I'm going to wait and I'm going to write about it in my journal when we had like a special journal time once a week. So I was going to wait, you know, but to me, that was like the biggest hint, like something's going wrong. It had to do with what we just watched. I want to tell you, but I'm afraid. So journal time came around that week and I never wrote it down because I was so scared that all the things my stepdad said would come true if I did tell, you know, I would never see my mom again. I would, you know, my, my family would be torn apart. No one would believe me, all those things. So, but I thought, well, it's obvious what I was going to tell her. So she'll come to me if it, you know, is that Mm. important? And she never did. And so I went through the next four years before I did finally tell, and those were the worst years of my sexual abuse. And I just wish that people would report on suspicion, just take that extra step and ask the questions and, you know, just check in with people when something seems a little off. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. You know, it's it's better off to, to take that extra step and make the phone call, make the report and most often the reports can be anonymous anyways. And so you're just equipping someone to do, to go do their job that they're already getting paid to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's that extra layer of training as well. I think that's so important. We um, at H&E are able to train a lot of different professionals about trafficking and what they might see in their occupation. And um, that's just so key in the identification process because that teacher like that was so obvious and like you thought that she knew. Yeah. Um, and if she would have received more training, like maybe she would have responded differently. Exactly. And so yeah. I think just those different layers of response from awareness to training to education, it's mm-hmm. all important and all ties together. For yeah. sure. I, I agree with that. Cause looking back, I'm, I'm certain she had absolutely no training and she, I was the teacher's pet. There's no way she would have ever thought something like that was going on. Hmm. So it wouldn't have even crossed her mind. But as this person who's going through it, you think everybody can see it as a neon light on your forehead, but it's just not the case until education happens. Right. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about just, I think for me personally, one of the most effective ways of finding vision for how to, you know, work 
in this and be a part of a solution to something like injustice is hearing from those who have gone through it. You know, in your work, does that come into play? Are you interacting with survivors to help you create more vision? Yeah, with my role, I'm very much focused on the prevention awareness and education side. So I don't work directly with survivors in terms of aftercare or service provision. But I do get to attend a lot of different events and conferences. I'm actually based here in Washington, D.C. as of a year ago. So it's crazy. There's so many things happening in the city and um, just amazing work that's being done. That's great to hear. And this issue is something that yeah, yeah. It's just like this issue of human trafficking is on the forefront. So Mm. um, in these settings, I've gotten to really see survivor leaders um, just stepping into new spaces and their voices are being amplified and they're being able to input into so many different areas in this field. And I think that's so key because they're the ones who've lived through it. They're the ones who've experienced it. They know mm-hmm. better than anyone what to look for or what made them vulnerable in the first place that they might be able to see in other people. Mm-hmm. And it's just been encouraging to see the field really embrace them and um, work to do this well and to make sure that they're included every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And we're like, it's not always perfect. And it's definitely something that I feel like organizations over the last 10 years have grown to understand the importance of more and there's progress being made. Um, but that's just been encouraging for me personally is seeing so many of these leaders who are survivors mm-hmm. really starting organizations and finding new opportunities and um, receiving employment in all different spheres of society and just um, overcoming so much that they've gone through and leading the way for so many more people. And so that's been really encouraging in the professional side of things. And then just personally as well, working for H21, Mm -hmm. I have had the opportunity to meet some of the survivors that we've been able to work with and travel to some of the freedom centers and aftercare homes over the years. And that's just always amazing because I feel like you can sit behind a computer or work to develop programs. And when you come face to face with people, it just makes every single thing worth it. Mm -hmm. And you know that if that one person's life is better, that all the work and time and everything else is completely worth it. So um, that's been really encouraging for me. I think the first time I met a survivor of human trafficking, I was around 23. Mm-hmm. And this girl who I met was the same age as me. And it just really impacted me because wow. I realized that, like, we were the same. Like, yeah. we weren't different besides the fact that we were born into different circumstances mm-hmm. and our lives looked different. Yeah, And so that just really impacted me and motivated me to use the freedom and the circumstances and resources and things that I've been given that Mm -hmm. I don't deserve Mm -hmm. um, to actually help bring freedom to other people. And yeah, um, yeah, those moments, you can't like unsee them. You can't, um, Mm -hmm. you're forever changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you've allowed it to not only impact you for a day, but for your career. That's absolutely amazing. And and it is humbling too, I'm sure. Um, it is. 
And, you know, and I think that speaks a lot to just the importance of survivors finding their voice because it's not always just about our own journey. It's also about mm-hmm. others, you know, maybe even privileged people who haven't gone through that to be impacted by our stories to a point that they want to make a difference for others. Yeah. And I think, too, something that's really important that I've learned a lot about and thought a lot about recently is like as someone who hasn't gone through human trafficking before, Mm -hmm. not relying on like needing to hear people's stories or like the horrible details or Mm -hmm. like the trauma that they have gone through to care or to do something. Like it's the fact that they're human beings who have suffered. And like I have within my ability and my power to make a contribution or to show up um, to an event or to share, spread awareness or to educate someone. Like I can do those things mm. that will make an impact. Um, and I do it because like there's someone who's suffering, but not necessarily because of the details or the emotions or like how horrible their experience was, if yeah. that makes sense. It, it does. So, and I think that's, that's important yeah. for us all to think about that we don't need to know all of those things. It's not a movie yeah. that we have to watch from beginning to end. It's just the simple facts. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful thing to think about. I haven't heard many people actually say that. So I appreciate that. And then what are your plans for the future? I know you're in school right now. So I'm excited to hear about some of your current passions and where that's going to take you. Yeah, for sure. So I am um, studying my master's of public policy right now. And I'm really loving being in D.C. It's Mm. something that I always had hoped to be able to do. And so just seeing the opportunity to come to D.C. to help start the office for H21 here to be fighting human trafficking and then also be able to do grad school and um, just learn about government while it's right down the road has been one of the best years of my life. It's such a privilege. And um, just being able to do live advocacy, going to the Hill, having meetings, participating in events, mm. just seeing the importance of like making sure that there's open communication and that what's happening in the field and what organizations and NGOs and survivors are experiencing and seeing is actually being communicated to those who are making laws or in charge of appropriations. I think that... Um, collaboration between the two is so important and will really help you make a difference in the long term. So that's what I've found is my passion being here is working with corporations, the private sector, Mm -hmm. the public sector, um, and just seeing everything kind of tied together and the puzzle pieces come together. Um, And I hope to be able to continue working in that. And then I think, too, I have become so passionate about prevention over the years yeah and I know like human trafficking is a huge issue but if we're truly going to end it long term Mm -hmm. we have to prevent it from happening in the first place so yeah um I'm encouraged because I'm hearing prevention talked about more I'm seeing bills come through that focus on prevention and Mm. um it's just amazing because I think that that is something that all of us can do something about and it is yeah, just long-term the solution. So those are some of the things that long-term I hope to be able to focus on and um, just keep building what's happening here in D.C. It's been so much fun. That's so cool. And I am a firm believer that education is key to prevention. 
What else do you think is yeah. key to prevention? Do you think the next thing would be, you know, getting lawmakers on board with a lot of this stuff or what else? Yeah, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. I think actually getting education into all schools mm-hmm. is a really important piece so that all students can actually know about human trafficking. And then I think to just the general public realizing that doing things like being a mentor or reaching out to a foster care Mm. family and offering support, those sorts of things that might not seem glamorous or important actually are the things that are going to stop human trafficking long-term. Because if you can help reduce the things that make people vulnerable in the first place, then they're not going to be vulnerable anymore and they're going to be protected. And all of us can do something um, to help that happen. So mm. I would say that those two things, like the education in schools and then education for just normal general public mm-hmm. um, on the steps they can actually take yeah. are two really important keys to prevention. Mm. And are there certain steps that you would talk to just individuals about, like what they can do or even just churches too? I think there's so often either individuals or churches who will say, what can we do? What can we do right now that's small? Like we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of time, but what can we do? What are some of the things that you often recommend? Obviously getting educated on the issue. Um, So A21, we just released a new human trafficking awareness program online. So this is three sessions long. It's three hours. There's a training that goes with it. It's completely free. And we've just seen a several like A-team groups and churches and small groups really take this resource. It isn't a huge time commitment. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive and just a really great opportunity to bring that first level of awareness and education to anyone who's interested. Um, it's written for ages 13 and above. So it really does like impact generations. Mm. And then we also have the Walk for Freedom every year in October. And this happens in 475 cities in 50 countries. So Amazing. it's very likely that there's a walk happening near you. Yeah, most um, likely. Is, like, yeah, it's more than just a walk. It's actually raising awareness. It's engaging the community before hanging up posters, contacting the local media. Um, and all these different things to bring awareness to human trafficking on this day locally, mm. but it has a global impact because it happens in so many places. So that's a really great opportunity for churches through a new initiative called Free- Walk for Freedom Sunday that we're launching okay. um, to actually like preach a sermon on human trafficking or show the video or just to have a booth and like recruit people to walk. These things are pretty simple um, and ways that you can really help to bring awareness and then mobilize people to take action. So I would say those two things are probably the most accessible, free, easy way to get started. And then I've just found that once you start moving, like you can't stop (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) There's always new opportunities. There's ways to interact and get involved and even like contacting your elected officials about getting can you see me in your local airport that's another thing that you can do and to really make a big difference so um, those are some different ideas um, from the awareness and education perspective that are great ways to start 
Um, and all of those can be found on A21's website, a21.org. I love all of those. That's that's excellent. Thank you. This was really insightful, but also very comforting just to know the work that you're out there doing. And we just love you, Kristen. We just want to support you and, and continue to um, use the resources that you're putting out. So I appreciate your friendship. <laughs> and I'm just grateful yeah, for your work. You so and much. Yeah, and we're just cheering for you for this next place that you're going through school and um, just continuing in the fight and that God would continue to just fill you with vision and um, hope for the future and just fill you up where you feel like you're spent because I'm sure you are all the great things that you're doing. But I think God is just continuing to give you vision and you're going to be a huge part of a solution as you already are. So thank you for taking time to come on our podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. This is amazing. And I'm so grateful for all that you do and just how all of this does tie together and is making such a big difference in people's lives. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.